You are listening to a Banzai Retro Club podcast. Language and topics may not always be appropriate for younger listeners. Press 1 for a groovy topic from the 1970s. Press 2 for an awesome topic from the 1980s. Or press 3 for a slamming topic from the 1990s. Please choose now. Too late. We have made your selection for you. Let's start the show. Hey everybody, this is Dave from Bonsai Retro Club. And what I am doing is releasing another of the podcasts from 80s Reboot Overdrive Archive. I actually recently downloaded all the episodes that I wanted to have in my grubby little hard drive. And I came up with just north of 300 episodes that I've got to figure out if I'm going to release on the Bonsai Retro Club banner or if I'm going to just keep them squirreled away in my um, hard drive or not. Either way, uh, what I had decided to do was the first three episodes of 80s Reboot Overdrive that I ever did, uh, I was going to release those on Bonsai Retro Club and then I'll figure out uh, if I want to start posting, you know, specific episodes, I think since we're getting close to the month of October, I'll probably go into Halloween type episodes for posting uh, from our Age Reboot Overdrive Revisited archive. Uh, so the only thing to keep in mind is this was recorded back in 2014 with uh, myself, Mike, and Nick, uh, and. The, I listened to the first few minutes of it and I was plugging a blog that is no longer available. Uh, it's nothing that I updated in a long, long time. So don't go looking for it. It's not out there anymore. Uh, so I'm sorry for that. But when I started the discussion, it turned out I was using it as a, uh, a plug for the, the blog, but also to set up my story about visiting the 1989 San Diego Comic Con. If you want to keep listening, it's all about the uh, 1989 release of Batman with Michael Keaton, uh, and it was a fun discussion, uh, and it was something that I really wanted to make sure that we covered pretty early on my podcasting days, because it was a very important movie for me. Uh, So you'll hear that if uh, you choose to listen. So uh, thanks a lot, uh, Retro Clubbers, and here you go. Welcome to another episode of 80's Reboot Overdrive. Uh, my name is Dave, and on the show we've got Mike Hello. and Nick. Hey, hey. This episode, we're hoping to answer the question, have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? Damn it, you stole my line. Yeah. <laughs> I knew somebody was going to yank that one, or uh, never rob another man's rhubarb for the opening line. Yep, yep, we had to, we had to throw that out there quick, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an early plug here. Um, uh, on Dave's Utility Belt, which is the blog um, that I author on SouthgateMediaGroup.com, I jump into a little bit about my visit to the 1989 San Diego Comic Con. 
If you were to go and check out the blog, there's actually also a download where you can actually uh, get to the program guide. I, I had kept it all these years, squirreled away in a little box and, you know, kept it safe. And the other day I had the, 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 the big grand idea of scanning that bad boy in and making it available to the Internet masses. So if anybody wants to go check that out, please do so. Um, but the reason why I bring it up is because in 1989, I, um, you know, it was the summer of uh, 89, I had just joined the United States Navy and I got um, placed uh, in San Diego, California. And in San Diego, uh, I was doing this thing that they call technical A school. And they, when you're not doing school and you're not cleaning something or you're not standing in a watch, you're basically allowed, you know, your, your free time. Um, I had seen somewhere advertised on the base that they had this little thing called uh, the uh, San Diego Comic-Con going on at the same time. And I decided to go check it out. Um, and uh, while I was there, I picked up, uh, you know, it was kind of my introduction, if you will, to, uh, you know, the deeper comic book world. Um, really, I had kind of a light collection of like cracked magazines, mad yes, magazines. nice. Um, but, you know, I never really, you know, took a deep dive into the characters. You know, I knew pretty much what, you know, what we got, you know, via the media. You know, we had the Incredible Hulk TV show. We had, uh, um, you know, the Super Friends TV show. You know, so, so I knew that, you know, in light what, who the, you know, the biggies were. But I didn't know, like, you know, the really in-depth history. When I was there, I picked up um, uh, another satirical type of comic book. One about a, uh, a, a teddy bear. Who actually kills or slaughters, you know, the uh, the biggies. I don't want to give away from who I'm talking about. Feel, you know, feel free to go visit my blog to find out. Um, but, uh, you know, there is a, a comic book that I picked up about a teddy bear that, you know, brandishing like an Uzi and a, uh, <laughs> a sword. Um, and then also I got introduced to The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Yeah. Oh, yes. Now, this was not what I was used to for Batman. This was, you know, away from the campy, you know, 1966 type reruns that were on mm -hmm. TV. Yeah, this one wasn't Technicolor. Yeah, yeah. so this was, you know, an, a, a dark version, which I came to find out that that was the way it was originally supposed to, you know, be. And then later on that same summer, you know, w everywhere you went, you were confronted with the bat signal. Yeah. You know, because you that. had, you know... The Tim Burton film, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman coming out. Yeah, that in yep. in my lifetime, that was like the dawn of merchandising that oh, I God. can remember. <laughs> merchandising blitz. Every kid in my school had yeah. Batman figures. The the so logo, the the you know, the Burger King or McDonald's glasses with the lead paint. <laughs> all that good stuff. Yeah, you couldn't go far without seeing the Bat logo plastered on something. Yeah. Um, so you know, put yourself back in the uh the late eighties. Um we had um, you know, Mr. Michael Keaton um, being introduced to us as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. And what we knew him from before was like Mr. Mom. Yeah. Comedies. You know? Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess what was you, what was you guys' thought, you know, when you first heard that, you know, Mr. Mom was going to be playing Batman? Well, oh, well, who wants to go first? <laughs> go ahead. <Nick. laughs> oh, well, I, I was going to say, I mean, obviously Mike and I were younger than, so we probably didn't have an opinion on that, but. I would imagine it was probably along the same lines as when they announced Heath Ledger as the Joker. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. No one, no one, no one thought it would work. I mean, from what I've read, like they said Michael Keaton, people were like, really? Yeah. I mean, this was this. Yeah, Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice, 
you know, that kind of character being Batman. And it's still, it's a very strange choice, but he's still my preferred Batman. Yeah, and, and that's exactly where I was going to go with that. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, because of that summer and my introduction of, you know, what the Dark Knight Batman was supposed to be, you know, that was definitely, you know, the vibe I got was, you know, that, you know, Batman can't be done by anybody other than Michael Keaton. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and others have, you know, done really well with it. I'm not going to get, you know, not, I'm not going to yeah. give them discredit. You know, you know, there's a few names that I'm not going to name as actually Batman films. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's not even, yep. let's yeah. not even touch those. Yeah. We, we don't have to give names, uh, you know, Kilmer Clooney anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mel Bilber. <laughs> now, you know what I, when talking about Batman movies, I always, I always like to say that, um, when you're casting that, you got to look at who's a good Batman and who's a good Bruce Wayne. So for yes. instance, Agreed. I, th- I know I, I, I'll get flack for this, of course, but I thought Val Kilmer was an okay Bruce rent Bruce Wayne, but he wasn't a Batman mm-hmm. and Christian Bale on sort of that same level. Actually casting Batman is really hard. It's, I can't really think of anybody that I would be like, that's my go-to guy for Batman. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Keaton, because he's done it, but still, that's not a choice I would have made. He just did it really strangely and really well. Well, yeah, I mean, and I might get the similar flack for saying this is that I thought Michael Keaton was a superb Batman. I just, yeah, looking back at it now, it's, it's hard to buy him as Bruce Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> exactly it's he, one or the other he just yeah he doesn't he didn't get you don't get that bruce wayne vibe off him he was too goofy yeah Agreed. i think that's yeah. what it was yeah. you know even, what I mean? for, even for millionaire playboy type he was yeah just a little too out there when they're looking at the masks and they're like oh look at this guy he's like oh it's japanese well how do you know well i got it in japan and he just kind of had this goofy smile on his face when he said it just a strange exchange still really enjoyable to watch but it, it sort of didn't fit right right yeah and, and yeah i felt the same way with yeah, how to categorize that, you know, because I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, I thought he was fantastic as Batman, but yeah, Bruce Wayne was a little too yep. goofy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I think. Um, and after seeing, so in terms of who I would cast as each Batman's verdict still out, I still, it's still really hard for me to make a choice on who I would cast as a Batman. But mm-hmm. I, in his heyday, uh, I think one of the greatest Bruce Waynes could have been Alec Baldwin. Especially after seeing The Shadow. Has anybody seen The Shadow besides oh, yes. your name? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Lamont Cranston was, like, perfect. Like, that was Bruce Wayne. And if that if he would have got that when he was younger, I think it would have been a completely different thing. Or even if he'd gotten it around the time he played The Shadow, it yeah. would have been, been fine. Yeah. But he was The Shadow. Yeah. Yeah. But when I think of a perfect Bruce Wayne acting role, it would have been <laughs> him from The Shadow. Yeah. It, yeah, it's tough to... I guess, you know, if you were to go back in time and be in the late 80s, you know, looking for that, you know, that person. Yeah. You know, that you think that you would be able to pull that off. And I I don't know. I never really gave it a lot of thought after seeing that version of Batman. I was just kind of like, you know, yeah, Yeah. that's that's Batman. Definitely. And especially since comic book movies weren't really given very much serious credit back then. There weren't really... How many good comic book movies were there back then? I can't really think of any besides Batman, at least in the 80s. No. No. Yeah, that that was it. Like the abysmal Captain America movie, the abysmal, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher, which was hilariously bad, but fun. And the the Fantastic Four movie they made just to keep the license and never actually released. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that just looked bad. Yeah. (laughs) It was was Roger Corbin, so figure that one out. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, Batman, Batman kind of stood alone. And I think it, it was like the, again, I think it was the, the marketing power of Warner Brothers that really did as much for him as they could have. Well, and, and backing up to what you'd said about, um, Dave, about reading The Dark Knight Returns and getting a very different vibe yeah. off of it than what people thought Batman was. The, the Tim Burton Batman was heavily influenced by The Dark Knight Returns, I read. Yeah. And so a lot of people who, you know, grew up and still thought of Batman, even... Even, you know, disregarding the comics at the time, which were becoming more uh, more mature because it was a post-Silver Age. Yeah. He, the general public did not think of Batman as, like, this dark creature or this, you know, this dark Avenger type. It was still right. kind of very, good job, old chum. That's yeah, right. Like, Primary colors. That's all I ever think of before the Dark Knight or before the 1989 Batman. I just think of him in, like, you know, grays and bright blues and Robin was bright red and all that stuff. With drawn on eyebrows. And... Yeah, right. Very, uh... Fisher Price. Were you going uh, somewhere with that, Nick? Oh, no, oh no, no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying that, that yeah. um, you mentioned, you know, like the power of marketing, but also just with that movie, especially people just did not see a comic book movie that way before. It never really had been done, I think. Yeah. At least so well. Yeah, they were all very campy and goofy, and that was the first one to take it into a more serious realm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and just the aesthetics of that film. I mean, if you looked at just how Gotham was portrayed, Gotham City. Yeah, I mean, it just had a very dark overtone, right? Very Burton-esque, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Burton's stamp was all over that movie in the best possible way. Like, and that's another thing too. That movie was, you know, '80s slash '90s comic heyday. It was also Tim Burton heyday too. Oh yeah, like he, right he his... yeah, he hit his stride and he was at the peak of his his ability as far as I'm concerned. It was post Beetlejuice, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was. I, okay. I looked that up earlier because I was curious about you know what we'd seen. Uh, uh, Keaton in before Batman. I want to make yeah. sure I had the timeline right. I didn't want to say Mr. Mom was, you know, if it was right. after or something. Right, right. <laughs> Do your research, children's. As I'm on Wikipedia right now. So I actually just saw, um, I just rewatched it um, this last week, you know, because we had talked about doing this uh, yeah. episode. So it's, I've got a lot of fresh notes here to kind of go through. <laughs> nice. Um, so Billy D. Williams is Harvey Dent. Yeah. Yes. So we have Lando. Yep. You know, and, 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 you know, obviously we don't have a Harvey Dent two-face or anything, but, you know, he's just kind of, you know, I, I'm just, that was an interesting casting choice, I think. Well, he took the role, well, when they offered it, he took the role knowing that he could potentially be two-face. Yeah. And when they cast, uh, Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever, they actually had oh, to buy out. You said the name. I'm sorry. You said the words. Uh, okay, the third movie. Um, <laughs> they actually had to buy out Billy D. Williams' contract um, so that Tommy Lee could play the character. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Yep. And Holy crap. While I'm glad he didn't play the character in that movie, I still would have liked to have seen uh, like uh, uh, Billy D. Two-Face. I would have really oh, loved thought... to have seen what, what he yeah. would have brought to it. I agree. That would have been. I mean, the, the Batman franchise was strange enough at that point that they could have done. They could have cast anybody to do anything, and we would have been like, yeah, all right, I'll buy that. Yeah, I agree. And I really do like when people take um, risks for casting choices for people that you wouldn't really consider, you know, that role for. Mm -hmm. um, even and even if it's just like, uh, you know, a ethnic heritage switcheroo, like when they when they did a Michael Clark Duncan for Kingpin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fantastic. And, you know, and I don't know who came up with that, but there was so much resistance to that at first. And it ended up being one of the greatest casting choices in well, comic movies, I think. I guess um, I guess they had auditioned a lot of 
big white wrestlers. Yeah. Before they <laughs> yeah. had this Michael Hunter get in, they you know they just didn't have the chops. Yeah. No. Yeah, I guess it's, Andre it's... the Giant wasn't around anymore. So. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, God. Andre the Giant. <laughs> Andre the Giant is Kingpin. Would have been. <laughs> it would have been the best comedy of the 2000s. Come on, Bozai. Yeah. <laughs> you want a peanut? All right. So. Uh, almost immediately in the movie, we get uh, the rooftop where we have two thugs, and we mm-hmm. get you know w- you know we have uh, um, you know Batman right there uh, scaring the bejesus out of him. But then right away we get a batarang. Yeah. So yep. I mean that movie just kind of jumped right into the action, whereas merchandising. <laughs> yeah. So I mean you know it, it it was just so you know well done where we didn't have to worry you know wait for that big setup you know where you know. Michael Keaton's or, you know, Bruce Wayne is trying to, you know, adapt into becoming Batman. Yeah, well, yeah that's – go ahead, Nick. No, no, I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Uh, it's – that's true because, I, you know, all the recent Batmans have been essentially, you know, prequely type stuff. So that was right – yeah, you're right. It put it right in the thick of it. And the pacing was pretty good too. And it was – and I mean it was standard movie pacing, you know, like crazy stuff happens, lull. Big stuff happens, lull. You know, climax. But they had a good – pace there i i never remember being bored watching that movie because every scene had something that held me you know completely captivated if not just great lines you know because that same scene was you know i want you to tell your friends about me yep batman yep so and oh well um yeah i was pretty much gonna say uh what mike said because like yeah nowadays it's all about the origin story Mm -hmm. and building up i mean they they've done how many spider-man origin stories in like oh man um but but yeah, I mean, and I think because there wasn't really what you'd call a comic book movie, I don't want to say formula, but people are sort of aping the same ideas off one another now. Yeah. So, like, they didn't think about the origin story back then. They just assumed that people would say, oh, yeah, it's oh, yeah. Batman. I know who Batman is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the constant reinvention of it. it. It does get really confusing, too. Like, looking at Batman cartoons that are out now, there's been so many different versions of Batman as a character. Like, holy crap. Um, I mean, and, and of all the, the redos of Batman, they've all been mostly interesting, but the only one I ever really got into was Batman Beyond. Oh, yeah. And that was, I mean, Batman was in it, Bruce Wayne was in it, but he wasn't really Batman at that point, you know yeah, what I mean? he was the mentor, mentor figure. Yeah, but yeah, the 89 Batman had, it was still, it was breaking ground, so that's yep. why it was so interesting, and they, you know, they were just trying whatever. Tim Burton was like, all right, let's make this super wacky and awesome, go. Yeah, it, it, it was like nothing that we'd seen before. So, yeah. um, with, with the exception, I should say, nothing we've seen before, with the exception of, this is going to sound weird, but Jack Nicholson as the Joker, mm-hmm. amazing performance, <laughs> but as Jack but, Nicholson does, he only ever plays Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay. and I was, like, oh, and I was actually going to bring that up, um, is that, yes, amazing performance, but you want to talk about someone at the height of their power. I mean, this was yeah. like the time where Jack Nicholson wasn't just Jack Nicholson. He was Jack. Yeah, he was Jack. Exactly. You exactly. said you said Jack, and people knew who you were talking about. Yeah, and, that's true. I mean, and he got top billing over Michael Keaton. Yeah. If you look at the poster, it says Nicholson, Keaton, Batman. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely, uh, you know, uh, the very powerful Jack Nicholson, right? Yeah. So. It, it, <laughs> I'm not sure. 
how much of that was acting on his part either. I think he just got up in the morning and they put some white makeup on him, and he just was himself for the rest of the day. But but like but also what's funny is that you look at a lot of Joker artwork, mm-hmm. like especially like if you look at Alex Ross, yeah. it's still influenced by Jack Nicholson's like face and expressions, which is, oh yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. He did he did put a mark on the character. He even, he he had the face for Joker even without the makeup. Putting on the makeup obviously put it over the top, but even without it, he had the grin. He had. I'm not saying. I mean, it was a fantastic casting choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, just watching him in The Shining, I would oh, yeah. be like, yeah, he could definitely be the Joker, like without question. Yeah, your lovable homicidal maniac. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the you know the receding hairline, the tall hairline, the you know the facial structure that's sort of angular, yep. the big grin, all of that was Joker. You know, before yep. we knew who Joker was, really. I mean, because like up until that point, I think the most famous version was the Cesar Romero from the '60s yep. show. Yeah. Yep. And that was definitely more giggly, but this was like a. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The buildup, yeah, yeah, he was he was the Dark Knight Returns bet, uh, mm-hmm. Joker in a lot of ways. And you talk about good lines. I mean, he had best most lines. of them. Yeah, yeah. best yeah, lines. I, I, yeah, actually, the uh, the next one I had written down was uh, "Decent people shouldn't live here." Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about the future. <laughs> 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 so now, off of Jack Nicholson here, we got Alexander Knox as a reporter. Right, what are you guys' hey, thoughts oh, on this guy? Thought he was. Funny. I thought I, he broke it up a little bit. Yeah, I didn't know who he was before this movie. Um, so, I, you know, I couldn't really comment on who, you know, you, seeing him before. Afterwards, I've only seen him in a couple of things, like, what, Arliss. Yep. And yeah. uh, I really can't think of anything else besides those two things that I've seen him in that wasn't just a really quick bit part. But, yeah, it was – they. that's a that's a good movie. That's a good world to have the, you know, plucky little uh, journalist or, bugging yeah. people. I, th- yeah. I think it fit yeah. in really well. They needed like a foil for the super dark Batman persona, and he was the you know the goofy one. So I think it worked pretty well. Yeah, you know, I I hate to always be comparing this movie to other movies, but if mm-hmm. we had a reporter more like um, uh, the reporter in Daredevil. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Joey... Nelson. Yeah, Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, as... yeah. Was Joey Pants foggy? Yeah, he was. I didn't know that. That's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that type of you know reporter. You know that I think that would have worked better than kind of the I don't know. It kind of annoyed me. I don't know why. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe watching it the you know as I'm older now, you know maybe that was just kind of like, do we really need this guy kind of you know being that way? Well, I think that was probably the point. But I was probably we were... back then. I probably liked it. I don't know. <laughs> well, but think about this: if if Batman, you know, he's he's not so goofy as Bruce Wayne that he's off the wall. So this reporter guy is goofy. He he takes the goof role, and Batman is super dark. So I think we were meant to sympathize with Batman and Bruce. So yeah. they put this you know annoying dork in there to be like, oh yeah, Batman's better to sort of just give us that emotional pull towards Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Or Got maybe it. like the maybe the everyman role. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, I think so. All right, and, and then oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say, and it was also because in this setting. Batman was like he wasn't established. He was an urban legend. So of course you're gonna want the crusading reporter type to yeah to, to like yeah. talk about that. Yeah, been uh, bird dogging it, trying to get some more information about this mysterious figure that's you know terrorizing the uh, thugs. We have enough to worry about in Gotham without worrying about ghosts. And right. Cabins. There you go. Good. <laughs> now, now another thing I remembering back 
I know he was a little too old to do it, but Jack Palance was in this movie. Yes. Yep. Yep. As Carl Grissom. Yep. Wouldn't he have been cool as the Joker? Back in the day. God, yeah. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thinking about him, think again, Jack Palance could have been crushing it as the Joker if he was a little bit younger. I, I forgot he was in that movie until I'm thinking back right now. I'm just sort of replaying it in my head. Um, man, in, in, in terms of performances given in that movie, he was yep. also at the height of his crazy <laughs> in a good way. This was like pre-City Slickers, but yeah. Yeah, big time. So so then after Alexander, uh, Ale- yeah, Alexander Knox, then we had Vicky Vale. So, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the uh, you had to have a love interest in there. Yeah. You know, for, uh, uh, you know, a setup for Bruce. Uh, the Batman movies kind of seem like the Bond movies in that way, where he's always got a new love interest like every time. True. You know what I mean? Except for the the last prequels. What was it? Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, Katie Holmes. They were the same person, right? Yeah, they were the same yeah. character. They... I think that's the only instance of a Batman movie where they've had a regular love interest. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because everybody else has been, it's been a different woman in the yep. movie, yep. right? Yeah, no, you're right. Because Kidman and um, in those shall not be named movies. <laughs> and in the in the movie that especially shall not be named, I think what is it? Pretty much Elle McPherson in the cameo role and um, Uma Thurman's character. Wow, Elle McPherson was in that? Yeah, she like well, she had like three lines. She was the fiance. Oh, okay. And. Oh, you said fiance. My brain heard Beyonce, and I'm like, I don't think she was around back then, Nick. <laughs> no, no, no. She was not, she was not the Beyonce. But yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, she was she was fine. I liked like a little. There was a little bit of playful banter back and forth, even when like Batman first rescues her from the museum. Like, how much do you weigh? Uh, 106. <laughs> and then he brings her. <laughs> you weigh you weigh a little more than 106. Oh yeah, yeah. That 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 was good stuff there. That was a, a good good uh, writing in there, you know, a yeah, little, little bit of uh, uh, tongue in cheek humor there. Although, no, am I the only person who was who was kind of even as a kid kind of weirded out by like when he takes her to the cave, right? And he gives her the formula for the Joker toxin, and then uh, she asks him what else he wants. He goes, "Actually, there is something else I want." And brings his cape up and bats just start flying and then, yeah. and she wakes up in her apartment and I'm just like whoa whoa huh? whoa guys yeah <laughs> we, we skipped a page here What's going right. <laughs> willfully omitted page from the script uh, oh. yeah that was pretty strange <laughs> but again it was Tim Burton so he can get away yeah. with strange right right that the uh not sure what happened there, but then it was like, oh wait, he took the film. Okay, Ooh. right. <laughs> oh, okay, I mean, yeah. With Burton movies, they they toe the line so heavily between just like the weird and occult and like the sort of sexual, but not really. It's like the tension in every scene in a in a Burton movie. It's always there, even if it's playful banter. But you're still sort of like, oh my god, what is this freak gonna do now in this movie? Right. But, so yeah. so so moving over to Access Chemicals. Oh yeah. We've got the scene where. Um, Jack Napier is hanging over the, uh, you know, the, the, the vat with the ass or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and rewatching it this time, I, you know, I was really kind of asking myself, was there really a heartfelt effort to save Jack Napier or did he drop him? Yeah. You know, because the way they played the scene out was that um, Jack Napier had killed his parents. Yeah. I don't think he knew. I don't think he knew who that was at the time. I don't think he realized that Joker was or that Jack Napier was the same guy. Mm -hmm. I thought he figured it out like a little over halfway through the movie. Yeah, I'd go with that. Okay. 
I, yeah, I think that was I think that was sort of central to Batman as a character is the dawning moment when he was like, oh, it's this guy, even though it's never really explicitly dropped on us. Well, he realized it when the when the Joker quoted that line when he said, "Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale, the pale moonlight?" Moonlight, right? And he and he goes, "What?" Yeah, and that's when he put it together. But yeah. So at that point, yeah, I guess, but you know, that would have been pre that line, pre that kind of realization. So yeah, I but, guess, I guess maybe there was an attempt there to try to save him. I don't know. Well, it's weird. Like the the two Burton Batman movies, maybe the second one, especially more than the first, but there was a lot of ambiguity as to like whether or not Batman straight up killed people. Like, Batman as a character doesn't kill. That's a big part of his character. Because he doesn't want to fall off the slippery slope. Right. But, but yeah, the burden Batman, I mean, like, when he, at the end, when he bombs the factory, someone had to at least gotten a few third-degree birds. I mean, (laughs) but, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're just, like the, the Burton stuff really towed the line. That's what I'm saying is, you know, you you were never quite sure what main characters in Burton movies, what their intentions were. It's there's always something swirling on that was a little darker than, you know, what the character was already established as. They, he sort of sucker punched you like that. Like, you know, Edward Scissorhands was such a you know, like a sweetheart character, but he had moments where he was like, yeah, you could probably hurt somebody. You saw him hurt people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind, and of a, I, kind of a dark. Yeah dark you know edge to it if you will dark dark and i think more than dark it's conflicted i think that's what burton does well characters that want to do a certain thing but they also have those urges that are like oh i really want to do this too and that's really prevalent in batman well i don't know if we're i don't know if i'm skipping ahead when we talk about this but that the scene at the end when the joker is trying to escape in the helicopter and and batman pretty much attaches that gargoyle to his leg yeah it's like you know what he's you know what his intention is it's not just to stop him it's to weigh him down and make him drop and that's like it's it may not be a direct killing but it's definitely the intent is there yeah yeah Yeah, i I guess you don't like put a goggle to somebody's leg if you just want to like you know subdue them and expect (laughs) them to have a soft landing and wipe themselves off oh get you next week fat freak so so now have we are you guys familiar with like you know batman lore (laughs) <laughs> that I'm, so, I'm sorry that was uh that was inappropriate <laughs> i apologize uh well the I, reason I, why i'm I asking have is have we ever had a name for joker before this movie um or even subsequent movies or subsequent no, like versions of batman no actually the, that is actually a big part of the joker as a character yeah. is that his he's even said it like i don't know if you've ever um they've read, ever read a joker story called the killing joke yeah yeah it's it's what you've read that yeah um, yeah, it's one of the seminal Joker stories, and he's and one of the things that they've kept from one of the lines is um, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes I remember it the other way. If I'm gonna have a past, it might as well be multiple choice. That's a big part of the Joker is that he you don't know what his past is, right? And not even he, I don't think he knows what his past is half the time. Yeah, and he's just that's who he is. He's like he's the id. The Joker is just the Joker. But yeah, this yeah. this this gave him a bit of a backstory, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of uh, every movie since then and most TV shows don't run with it. Yeah. Yeah, that is that's part of the major Joker mystique is that he's the strange sort of yeah, whisper under the bed, you know what I mean? Like I always enjoyed the fact that he was he he's like a force of nature. At this point, the Joker it, like he is the comic book villain. Mm, you know, maybe more than any other ones I can think of. If somebody said comic book villain, if I stream of consciousness it, I think I might just say Joker. The Joker, yeah. Because he, he, you're right, the id. He's just represent representative of 
these such deep rooted psychoses and all this funky stuff that, you know, of course, everybody's got some kind of dark thoughts in the back of their head. So maybe that's what makes him so not endearing. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't no. say endearing. He's but, pretty freaking terrifying. Yeah, but he's so constant. And I think that's what makes him so interesting is because he's pulling from us. He's pulling from people like his crazy is a special brand of crazy, but everybody's got little bits of it. So people can relate to him on some weird, sick level, even if it's not on a criminal level. Yeah. Like, as he said in, the, in Killing Joke, all it takes is one bad day. Yep, absolutely. Yep. But, yeah, not having a name, yep. not having an origin. Uh, yeah, again, it, it was fine in, in the Batman movie, in the 89 movie. That was kind of cool. You know, it was okay. Um, and it's but, actually uh, a double pun because um, Napier was, I think they got that from Alan Napier, who was the Alfred in the 60s Batman series who had just died. Oh. And, it, and it's also a pun on Jack and Apes. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I never even thought of that. That's cool. Yep. That, at least that's what I read, that it was like a double sort of thing. But yeah. Screw it, man. It, yeah. It, it's, it's a true thing now. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's too do... cool. That's too cool not to quote. That's great. And that's also like one of my favorite anachronistic uh, <laughs> insults. So I'm going to have to start bringing that back. Jack and apes. Jack and apes. Ragamuffin. <laughs> All right. So Lieutenant Eckhart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, I'm used to a uh, like a Bullock character running yep. around. So I mean, where you know this was uh, Eckhart. I mean, he's is, is that a traditional Batman? You know, um, well, the idea of Gotham pretty much having the most corrupt police force in the yeah. country is a pretty constant thing. Like it's Commissioner Gordon and a few other cops, including Bullock actually, who are considered like the honest ones, and everyone else is on the take somehow. Yeah, it's so, what is it? Bullock, Montoya, and Gordon, and that's it. Pretty much, and maybe like one or two others, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, I have to wonder though if Eckert didn't start out in some like script revision as Bullock. As Bullock, that's what I thought. He because again, I think it. I I think I think you're right on that. I think that maybe it was Tim Burton's version of like Dark Harvey. Yeah. You know, so he didn't have to use Harvey Bullock, but he wanted he liked the idea of him because he even looks like Harvey for crying out loud. Yeah, he's, he's slovenly. He he's eating. Yeah. And ironically, he's played by Porkins from from Star Wars. <laughs> That's right. I yep. forgot he was Porkins. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, he he was. Yeah, I think he was supposed to be endemic of the fact that Gotham is so, you know, corrupt and disgusting that the mob is, you know, clearly in bed with uh, the cops. Yeah. I mean, and Gordon is one of the only honest ones, because remember when he when he when he's at Bruce Wade's party and the cop gives him that tip. And he goes, uh, why wasn't I told about this? Who's in charge of this? Eckhart, sir. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, let, let's go. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden that's clear. <laughs> yeah. Nick, do you know anything about if Tim Burton has any ties to Neil Gaiman? I don't. I don't believe I – I mean, I haven't heard of anything along okay. those lines, but – I asked because Sandman came out in January 1989, and this movie came out in – summer sometime like you know june july something like that and talking about comics going to a darker place and thinking about sandman and all they started do to do in the beginning of sandman um i wonder if those synergized at all because they have very dark elements that are very similar to me if you look at the I, the first book i don't know if they synergized but i think they all came from the same spot because um as as said dark knight returns was a huge influence um what but dark knight returns came around around, around the same time as watchmen and that yeah. symbolized the big shift in comics as, or at least in the public eye, as a more maybe mature form of reading. Yeah. And it, it, um, 
at least from what I read, obviously I was a little too young to get caught up in the media circus. Like the Dark Knight Returns got featured on like CNN. Wow. People were like, really, it's like, wow, this is really interesting. Yeah. Comics can actually be art. Really? That's strange. And and I think (laughs) that like the comics code, which is gone, it's essentially gone now. Thank God. uh, Which, which really hamstrung comic storytelling for years and years and years. Yeah. That began to lighten up and stuff like Batman and the Sandman. Uh, were able to, you know, go places that comics uh, didn't hadn't gone for a very long time and weren't allowed to go. Yeah, yep, if ever. And so I think it all it all sprung from that particular point in time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the comics code really was just a horrible, <laughs> horrible idea in the first place. I mean, if the the whole reason it's pro- it's the whole reason why we got the really campy Batman forever. Mm-hmm. You know, we you couldn't do anything important in comics because of the comics code. You couldn't even if you tackled an important issue, the comics code made it into some awful Fisher Price caricature. Actually, the reason we got Batman, well, the reason we got the third movie, um, is because <laughs> is because Batman Returns. Um, at least from what the critics said, and looking back on it now, went too far in the other direction. Really? It got, it was really too, too dark. And, like, stuff like, and getting back to what you said about merchandising, stuff like, like, when McDonald's had Batman Returns cups with special disc, and, like, special throwing disc, (laughs) that I remember getting, getting, like, yeah. And, but then when... I guess, like, the higher-ups at McDonald's actually saw the content of the movie yeah. with, like, murderous clowns yeah. and horrible, disgusting savage penguin and, you know, dominatrix catwoman. Yeah. They they pulled back and they're like, no, no, we're not going <laughs> to throw our money behind this. And it, it came down to a merchandising decision. People, like, they pulled the action figures. Yeah. Because people associated with this dark, violent movie. And then there was, the, there was that pushback, and that's when things started camping up again. Yeah. Yeah, but we're getting ahead you of see, ourselves. You see where that got us. Yeah, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves again, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, although, um, well, first of all, Dave, did you have any other things you wanted to discuss? Because I was going to go off on a tangent. I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got a lot of notes, but, you know. All right, I mean, well, then, you know, then bring out yeah. those notes. <laughs> go for it. Because we'll, yeah, well, sorry, I'll, we just kind of. No, go no, no. I, I mean, you know. We, you don't stop us. We will talk about this for like six hours. <laughs> we'll just keep <laughs> recording. Yeah, anyway. this topic. Yeah, we're gonna have to split it up into ten parts. But um, so like the, the the next scene, you know, not the next scene, but the next thing that uh, uh, you know, I thought was pretty significant was there was this uh, scene where Joker was, you know, had all the crime bosses there, um, and he's you know making the announcement that uh, he's taken over for Grissom. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and then the one guy at the end says, "No, you know, I'm not gonna, not going to go along with that." And then he, you know, he says, "Well, we're just going to shake hands and." Uh, you know, and then he ends up, you know, torching the guy, you know, yeah. with his uh, joy buzzer, you know, and then he I'll delivers this line. Yeah, you know, you're a vicious bastard. I'm glad you're dead. You know, um, <laughs> I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, pretty dark stuff, man. <laughs> well, when I was like, I'd gotten the video, the VHS, I'd gotten it for Christmas. I think the year it, ca- it came out on VHS, I'm like, I was the happiest boy on, on Earth, but I didn't get to see it in the theater. Ooh. And then when I saw that scene, I was watching it with my parents. Like you could just, you could feel the air of the room just get really heavy all of a sudden. Yeah. Because like my folks were just not sure if I should keep watching this. Right. They or weren't prepared. I wasn't prepared to see a guy just totally get roasted. 
by the well, Joker. And... Were you prepared, or was it the fact that you your parents didn't think you were? Well, I no, I remember being honestly shocked, like okay. that that he got he got joy buzzard and his face turned all red, but yes. then he, he he slumped back as this charred corpse. Yeah, and then you're just like, uh, okay. And then, and then Joker continues to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just... about seven, I think, when that. So so I should mention about myself is that. <clears throat> I would never say that I've been desensitized to things in movies because I'm still really sensitive to things in movies. I'm very emotional when I watch stuff like Grave of the Fireflies absolutely crushed my soul. Oh, God. Um, fantastic even... movie, but I mean, I will never have to watch it again. <laughs> um, but I grew up um, I, I grew up with bikers. Bikers were around <laughs> raising me. And so I saw a lot of stuff that kids shouldn't have seen, quote unquote, from the 80s. Like, I mean... I remember watching heavy metal as a little kid mm. and that's just cartoon boobies and explosions and, uh, you know, occult stuff and things like that. So I was pretty used to seeing really weird stuff at that time and thinking about eighties movies, they were a lot crazier than quote unquote, you know, family or kids movies nowadays. You can, you could get away with swearing. Uh, you can get away with all sorts of weird stuff in, in, in eighties kids movies that they would not even consider well, nowadays. And I think 80s, Batman was an example of that. Well, eighties movie, eighties kids movies, uh, gave us PG 13. Yeah. Cause gremlins, cause yep. when gremlins came out, it was rated PG and people started freaking out cause it had some very dark, violent moments. And they're like, okay, we need a sort of a middle ground here. Yep. Yeah. They, I mean, even just thinking about things like the dark crystal, Mm -hmm. The Dark Crystal was beautiful fantasy world, but the Skeksis alone were horrifying. I mean, they, it was lightened because of they, you know, their their screechy voices, which were sort yeah. of comedic. But the visuals in that movie, like Jim Henson, didn't play around. He no. was just like, I'm going to tell a story, and I'm going to tell it how it's supposed to be told. So you're going to get this dark, creepy stuff. Have fun sleeping tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? W which I appreciated. Again, I, I I'm not going to you know make this my soapbox for like oh you know let your kids you know go a little further than they should but but yeah it was it, you were you were a little more used to seeing something a little more out Definitely. there and and bleak I remember, than yeah. I uh, I remember really liking that joy buzzer scene I remember being like oh that's super cool <laughs> or when he throws the uh, the quill pen at the guy's neck yep uh, yeah yeah and, yep that was that was and like the mimes with the machine guns which is just awesome <laughs> oh yeah that's right <laughs> And then later on, he's you know his thugs are with him at the art museum, and they're you know ruining all the paintings and all that. And he delivers this line. He says, "I make art until somebody someone dies. I'm the first homicidal artist." Well, yeah. Fully function, fully functioning homicidal artist. I oh, there you out. go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. It very. That was actually, I think, one of the more just pure Joker moments. Yeah. Where he is just like all the way he, in his element. He could be like dark and evil and creepy, but he could also be kind of funny. Yeah. And that's what he was doing. He was just dancing around. He was clearly enjoying himself and just just having a great time dancing to Prince. And if you ever needed a clue to the <laughs> 80s, yeah, yeah, you had the height of Purple Rain Prince doing a lot of the music. But yeah, I mean, it was it was it was it was a funny scene, and uh, it it kind of lightened the mood a little bit. Um, if you ignore the fact that. There were corpses strewn about. You know. <laughs> right, there's just skeletons lying around. Or do you know, no, it was, it was gas, so like everyone just died except for Vicky. Oh, Bill. right, right, she right. Had the gas mask on. The mask, the gas masks in the box, right? Yep. Yeah, they may have had the you know the uh, the the Joker grin, you know, death, if you will. Right. And, yep. yeah. and actually, if you want to talk about something that that freaked me out, at least in that movie when I was young, 
uh, the scene where the newscaster starts laughing. That oh, was yeah. legitimately creepy and awesome. Yep, and then it shows her face with like yeah. the the huge Joker grin. Yep. I I jumped back as a kid. I remember w- looking at that and because that was legitimately creepy to me. I also yeah I liked how every time we saw the newscasters, they were getting a little more you know five o'clock shadow, a little more, a couple more bags under the eyes. Yeah, they didn't want to use haggard. any makeup and yeah. yeah, more haggard as time went on, and then eventually yeah, that was super cool and. I don't think I appreciated it as much as a kid. And when I got older, watching it again, that part, that's one of those things that's just background flavor in a movie that really sells it for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, 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 the newscaster back and forth, those little, those little scenes tie everything together so well. It's, it, it's, it's sort of like, a, like the bell curve of how creepy things are going to get. Yeah, I mean, because you were you were seeing, you know, how did how did Joker's you know uh, announcement on Gotham City, you know, how that affected people? Yep. Yeah. So it was like a, a real time, you know, pulse check, if you will, of you know how everybody was, you know, dealing with that. Absolutely. And I know I know we're dipping back to the well on this one, but um, the Dark Knight Returns used like talking heads and newscasters to great effect, like that. I'm wondering if that if that was something they got for the movie. It had to be had to be because it was such an important part of dark Knight returns as well yeah it really did help that uh story along uh, they were really regular too like every couple of pages they would pop up yep mm-hmm. yeah yep. so uh, go ahead oh no i was i was just clearing my throat sir oh okay <laughs> so batmobile there was a scene mm-hmm. where um you know he's driving through gotham city and he uses this hook thing in order to take a tight corner you guys remember that yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Hooks it onto the, was it the lamppost? Yep. Yeah. And it makes sense, too. If a car's going that fast, you're not going to be able to make a three-point turn. Right. <laughs> yeah, I just brought it up. I didn't have a lot to talk about with that, but I just thought it was so damn cool. So that was Very comic booky, um, and also pretty awesome for the toy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of merchandising, the, the Batmobile toys, all the weird stuff that you could do with the various Batmobile accoutrement. Mm-hmm. My cousin had the, the, you know, the big one that Batman could sit in, and... Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it even came with the uh, the plastic shell because <laughs> you, yes, yes. you know he did that thing where he he, he hit the button and, yep, and, it, and it shields up over the so it just came with a a vacuum formed black plastic shell that you could put over the Batmobile with the toy which I thought was super super cool and it had you know little missiles and stuff like that but it was it was such a good sculpt also like and thinking that, of toys back then and that Batmobile. Um, I think, and I mean, maybe I'm, I think I'm assuming, but that's still what a lot of people associate as the Batmobile. The Batmobile, yeah. That image, that shape. Yeah, definitely. It, it looked awesome. It looked comic booky, but but also decently grounded enough to just be like a really awesome vehicle. It, it was also the first time you really saw the Batmobile being this technological marvel. Mm-hmm. which you didn't see in like the 60s batman that was just like it a, was cool but yeah, yeah it, was, it was a cool street rod with a bunch of paint and stuff on it which was neat but this is the first time the batmobile was something that was like holy crap you, you will never see that on the street so that's what makes it awesome and it was it was sleek it was formed really well just visually all the curves just sort of blended together with that turbine thing in the front going on yeah very I, very iconic yeah i love yeah. that batmobile um the, the the shield thing to me it almost i mean looking at it nowadays it almost looked like looked like a big coffin to me hmm. yeah yeah i could the see that for sure it. yeah tim welcome to tim burton's world again <laughs> yep. oh yeah not saying that you know the the shield thing was bad i you know just uh, you know this recent viewing i that that's the first image that popped in my brain was like 
God, that looks like a big coffin. So it does, yeah. And you know, I, I even I do remember even as a kid when the shields popped up, I'm like, how's the Batmobile do that? Where are those shields coming from? I don't see that really happening. So you, I thought that was goofy as a child. You were a but, cynical you know, kid, weren't you? I was well, only sometimes because that was around when I started to watch Star Trek. Ah, <laughs> so yeah. I was looking for a little more science towards it. But it, it was never so big a gripe that it detracted from anything. I just kind of sat and pondered it for a while. And I'm like, how would we make that work? <laughs> but it was too goofy. You, you were secretly trying to find ways to add shields to your car. Oh. I, yeah, you, you say it in past tense, like I'm not doing it now. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm mean, always yeah. looking for a way to do that. My mom had like a 1986 brown Nissan Stanza minivan. <laughs> That I still wish could, like, even as a kid, I was just like, shields? Shields. <laughs> shields? Just whisper oh. it to the exhaust pipe when she's not looking. Hey, hey, shields. This, this little brown and tad minivan that I still wish had shields, but yeah. Yeah, I just want that big flame thing in the back. So. Oh, yeah. The jets. Yeah. And now, the machine guns. Now, that's something that hasn't really, that wasn't really a feature of most Batmobiles because, you know, Batman really wasn't, it's never been. guns. Well, if you look at the the old 30s Batman, he actually right. st- straight up shot people. But yeah, it's been a big part of his character to be anti-gun. So that was kind of a, a different take on it. Well, for for vehicles, it makes more sense because, you know, you could always argue that the guns were to pop up tires or, to you know, stop a car from moving, but not go through somebody. Let, let's argue that they weren't armor piercing rounds. How's that? Yeah. OK. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> But, he, he's got enough tech to to come up with something that wouldn't kill yeah. somebody. Actually, that one scene that he was going back to access uh, chemicals when he was going to go blow it up, he had mm-hmm. the guns shooting so that it created an outline so he can drive through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the bombs just just dropping bombs right off the side. That was good. So yeah, I've got all these lethal weapons, but I'm not really going to kill anybody. Right. <laughs> We're just going to yeah, roll I mean... the dice, see what happens, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if I happen to do, oops. <laughs> My but, bad, guys. Sorry. But that's also been a Batman thing, too, is having all this heavy ordnance and crazy, you know, super destructive tools, but he's always skilled enough to not murder anybody. You know what I mean? Right. He's always had the ability. Like, he could, you know, drop somebody, you know, on a dime, but he's usually good enough to figure out, like, all right, if I do this and, you know, ricochet it off of here, his little Batman physics brain going on. <laughs> a little Batman physics brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he is, you know, bad physics. Be, besides being, you know, uh, the pinnacle of human achievement, he's in physical physicality. He uh, he's also like a super genius. So sure, you know, Batman's a scientist. Yep, that's right. Oh, Batman. So so then there was this also a scene where we had this ninja sword thug. <laughs> oh yeah, you remember this? Yes, I, I do. And, and then he just like hauls <laughs> up and just kicks him right in the face. Yep. I mean, that's, it, it, that's it, the indie moment right there. Yep, the that's exactly moment. what I was going to compare it to. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just like, that That. That totally plays as the same thing. If, if you're going to give an homage to something, Indiana Jones is a good one to homage to. And you think Batman's going to like get this, like, you know, this big fight with a sword guy, because, you know, it seems like the type you do. Just, yep. No. <laughs> done. Yeah, you know, I mean, it starts off, he does a little bit of blocking, but you yeah. could tell it, maybe he just got tired of it, and he just hauls yeah. out and just kicks him. <laughs> I think the, the, ball, the big ball black guy uh, lasted longer than the sword guy. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that's another really important thing too about these movies is that Keaton Oops. was he was so good at keeping the humor in Batman costume, you mm-hmm. know, which was really hard for Christian Bale and you know, anybody else who's played Batman in the Batman suit. Like they've dropped one-liners or cracks here and there, but they've never been really successful. I think Michael Keaton's the only one who made Batman funny while still being serious. 
True. Was, was the line "Eat floor high fiber"? Was that in the first one or the second one? Like, oh, I don't even remember that line. Because yeah, there was like one line I forget what the the thing was, but he like he grabbed a guy by like the back of his head, just went "Eat floor <laughs> high fiber." <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, he I just slammed the guy either. Slammed the guy's face right into the floor. <laughs> I don't think it was in the first one then. Okay, probably not then, but yeah. Yeah, I think I would have caught that one, but no, I didn't catch that. So, wait, wait, wait. Was this a Catwoman and Batman exchange, or was this tossing a guy? Because I vaguely remember Catwoman. Maybe it was Catwoman. I mean, again, um, it's been I, I, a while. I remember the term. I remember Batman saying "high fiber." Oh, maybe that was Catwoman. Then maybe he just slammed Catwoman's face into the yeah. floor. Yeah, I, I gotta look that up real quick <laughs> while <laughs> while you guys are speaking. All right, so let's see. What do we got? We got, um, yeah, the line, never rub another man's rhubarb. That's the line. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one. That's the winner for me. Well, that's like one of those lines that you have to say in Jack Nicholson's voice or it loses yeah. all. It all doesn't work. Never yeah. rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> so, so does he sound like a cowboy? <laughs> oh, you said that, yeah. I'm sorry. Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> Wait till they get a load of me. Yeah, that's more Jack. Yeah. So I guess between the lines, what never rub man rub another man's rhubarb. Wait till they get a load of me and uh, ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. Which one is like the defining, you know, quintessential line for this movie for you? Hmm. That's a. I'd have to say it's a toss between where do they get a load of me and dance with the devil because where do they get a load of me? It's like that's right after he kills Grissom and he's just sitting in the chair. Yeah. And this is like right before he starts like his campaign of you know destruction on Gotham. Right. It's like all right. It's all right, impor- it's important to him, and it's the one that more people I think recognize him for. But Pale Moonlight is such a great line. Yep. That it it supersedes all the other ones in terms of badass potential. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's also, fantastic. Also, a lot of people a lot of what people forget about the where do they get a load of me is that it was also uh, proceeded by him just going. Oop. Yep. 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 It was. <laughs> so that sort of takes away a little of that. <laughs> with the, with the raspy little laugh yep. of his. <laughs> yep. Just uh, just a little. I mean, it was it it ramped up the crazy, but it took away a little of the menace. Yeah. Uh, although I would like to add to the uh, to the canon of fantastic lines from this movie, uh, a Batman or a Bruce Wayne line, technically. You want to get nuts? Yes, I was gonna. Come on! Oh, yeah. Let's get nuts. That's, yeah, that was that a great was a scene. Good one. <laughs> and, and, and out of nowhere, just like out of nowhere. Yeah. Too like. Yep. I don't know what his plan was, but <laughs> I know it worked so well though. He just flipped at like, and that that's you know that's Mr. Mom coming back to you is what that is. He couldn't mm-hmm. he couldn't not do something like that in this movie, but uh, that was a great line too. You know, my favorite part of that scene is where he's. Um, sitting there, you know, giving the description to Jack Napier about he says, oh, there's this kid, you know, his wires aren't wired, you know, he's not wired yeah. right. And when he's yeah, psychoanalyzing I, him, basically. Yeah, and then Joker goes, wow, I like him already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you could tell it was also kind of a deflection because he knows exactly who he's talking about. Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah, that was a great little uh, psychoanalytic analytical scene. That was pretty cool. And then it, both trying to get into each other's heads and yep. slowly dawning on both of them like, oh, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, a lesser lie, but one, you know, an opera aficionado might like is uh, right before he leaves Vicky Vale's apartment when he says, I'm only laughing on the outside. My smile <laughs> is only skin deep. Inside you'll find I'm really crying. Right. You might join me for a week. That was, um, I think that's a reference to Pagliacci. It is Pagliacci, yeah. Yep, so. <laughs> 
but there were, yeah. there were all sorts of little funny sidelines too that didn't they, like the lines themselves weren't funny but the the delivery was funny oh yeah like when he gets shot and the dude's like you, you got some kind of putty on him that used to crack me up as a little kid for some reason when the bullets got soaked up by the armor got some kind of putty on him because he is human after all yeah Stuff like that really made me giggle as a little kid. Well, again, makes me giggle as an adult, too, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> the delivery was really good on all that stuff. Yeah, they did that. Yeah, the, uh, these lines, yeah, were, you know, based on the, you know, the person that delivered them, I guess, you know, they, you know, it was really, it made it. It's, it's, it's also significant to mention that even the goons in that movie were entertaining. They weren't just, like, throwaway guys, you know, going over the side of a balcony they actually were all interesting. You know, yep. it wasn't like, just, yep. yeah, it wasn't like the army of Hydra soldiers or something like that. They all were unique and trippy and interesting and they had good placement and good lines and all that sort of stuff. It was a really well-directed movie. And, and of course, you know, the, the single greatest uh, uh, character in modern cinema, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bob was pretty great. You're my number one guy. That's right. You are my number one Okay. Yeah, he's doing that <laughs> over-the-top Jack Palance impression. Absolutely. But, and, um, I don't know, like, did anyone else notice that, uh, very Joker-esque, but he sort of had a whole branding thing going on with his goons. They all had, like, the uniform and the patch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. the similar colored, like, the Joker cars. Yeah. The Joker cars, yeah, they were, uh, purple and yellow. Yep. Which was okay, too, because that was, that had to be a nod to the, uh, to the to the 60s one too the mm. camp aspect of the 60s because tim burton loves him some camp too this was just not a showcase for it like the second one was yeah, yeah. you know the, the the second one was a lot more bright and shiny um which i think if i'm thinking about movies like batman was his dark gray white and red period and then batman returns was more when he, learned, when he learned well no not just gray but batman returns was gray with big bright colors like the duck Oh, mm, or mm. you know shining up on the moon or like the electricity on uh what's his face um oh shrek yeah 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 yeah, yeah christopher walken's character yeah yep. so i think if you look at tim burton movies afterwards that was to me that's like the movie where it dawned on him that color could be creepy too because ever since then he, you know charlie and the chocolate factory and uh alice you know, yeah, movies like that are super, super bright, but they're also really freaky. And they have like, well, they have those like really splotches of color. Yeah. And uh, funnily, funny you should mention that because for I think the first round of videotapes that came out when it came out on video, because I know mine was like this. Yeah. The, all the the prints were actually lightened. They were oh. light from the original uh, from the original because I guess people were complaining that they thought the movie was too dark. Yeah. Like in all things, so they 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 lightened the print. And if I look back at like a DVD version now versus the VHS I had, can't yeah, see anything. Well, you, I mean, you can see. I mean, obviously, it's a little they you know saturated the colors a little bit. Yeah. But it you could get what his what his aesthetic or what he was shooting for. I got you. Yeah, I didn't know that. VHS. Wow. <laughs> I know. We're not dating ourselves at all. Nope. As I look at my wall of tapes right now and quietly weep. <laughs> Although I did, I have to say that the uh, original VHS of Batman was pretty awesome because all it had, yes. all it had, it was just pitch black with just the logo on the front, and that's all you needed to know. But also, the original VHS copy came with Looney Tunes stuff on it. Oh yeah, they had the little the little bumpers with Bugs and Daffy yep. talking about ordering Warner Brothers swag. Yep. And, and uh, yeah. I think it also had a, uh, a Diet Coke ad with uh, Alfred in it. <laughs> yep, where it was like, <laughs> oh, your Coke, son. And he just oh, no, But they don't show Batman. 
or it's like a drugstore. He's like, yes, I have someone coming up for a new supply of Diet Coke. Yep. You'll know him when you see him. Yep. So, so there's one scene that was set up that I think really just was kind of there just for the sake of being able to throw that bat signal out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But uh, you guys remember the bat plane going up through the clouds? Yep. Yeah. And, yep, and right, 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 the right, yep. right in the moon. Yeah. And then it drops back down. Yeah. That was cheese, but good cheese. I thought that was really cool as a kid. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, and even, even my rewatch of it uh, recently, I was yeah. just like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's one of the things that when you're in the theater, people stand up and cheer for. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. That's definitely one of the, you know, it's an easy trick. It's an easy pop for the audience, but it's so successful. Well, I remember when uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, speaking of dating myself, yes. they, did, they did a spoof on, on Batman. And they did the spoof of that scene where the Batwing goes up into the moon. Yeah. And instead of just doing that, it goes up in the moon, it stops, and then you see TM next to it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, then it. Then it falls back down. But yeah. And um, speaking of the logo, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the actual Bat logo on his chest in the movie is different than the standard Batman logo. Is it? It's got three little points on the bottom of oh. the logo. Right. I forget the reason why they did it. I think they maybe wanted to make it something a little more unique to the costume. But yeah, it doesn't. It's not the standard bat logo on it. Well, the, I mean, speaking of things that have been constantly reinvented, the bat logo has changed so many times. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen those infographics that you know way back from when he first started to you know all, every iteration now. It's all very similar, but the number of points and the number of curves and mm-hmm. like the, the breadth of the logo as a whole always changes so yeah i didn't even realize that yep it's got these it and it looks it looks normally except for that one little bottom part where it just got like it's got a little diamond shape almost i don't know why they did it maybe it was to make it unique but yeah wait so the diamond shape was on his chest or it was on the logo it was well it's on it's on the chest logo like yeah um it'll yeah it'll it'll show the regular batman symbol Oh, up, yeah. until, up until you get to the very bottom of the logo, and it's just like these these three little points. Yeah, it's like flared up. out like a yeah, real bat. Out. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I never noticed that before. Yeah, I, it just seems like they've got to, you know, change that brand just a tiny bit each iteration, mm-hmm. right? I guess, yep. you know, for each yeah. creator make, that's messing with it. Yeah, maybe to make that Batman a unique entity or more unique entity than... Which makes sense because if you're gonna have to, you know, if you're gonna use one of the most iconic characters ever, you're if you're gonna reinvent them, you're gonna need, you know, all the help you can get subliminally to get people to go along with you. Yep. Maybe it's like one of those subliminal tactics, you know, where you change the logo a little bit and then you're like, oh, okay, it's it's not quite Batman, but it's good enough for me. You it's know what that, I mean? It, but it's that Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. It's this version. Okay. All right, so then now you guys remember the uh, uh, Joker pulling the gun out of his pants to shoot the Batwing? <laughs> you know, I mean, how long was this thing? You know, yeah. I mean, enough that enough that he had a, would have been in big trouble if he had a misfire. <laughs> and that that gun became pretty iconic too because yep. that sh- ended up. Isn't that what he popped Barbara Gordon with in the in in the joke? In the Killing Joke? Um, no, because that that book came out before the '89 Batman. Oh, did it? Yeah, that oh. book, that book that book came out in the mid '80s. Um, I thought that was I thought that was closer to the '90s. No, 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 mid mid '80s, mid '80s. Okay, but um, but you know maybe that maybe again there was some back and forth, but yeah, that was and it was also very Joker esque, very impractical gun that yeah. it, that can apparently fire anti aircraft fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> or he just got the luckiest shot in the world. Yeah. 
the, and of course, of course, there was that awesome shot of Batman just shooting rockets all over the place, yeah. and the Joker's just standing there. It's like, ah, yeah, it's raining. Come on, come on, come on. And you know, you're gonna try to keep this PG, but yeah, 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 pretty much. But, yeah, I guess as as we were just talking about this, I actually just flashed back to that Heath Ledger thing where he's like, "Come on, come yeah. on." Yep. Yeah, and he and he yeah, he just keeps shooting, and yeah. So yeah, what I think. Eventually, the Batman works start homaging each other. Yeah, he he was definitely inspired by by Nicholson, like you can tell. Just the playful elements that that Ledger did, like one thing in particular that he did in the in in um in the movie, I can remember that when Heath Ledger was in the truck, the big old semi when he was driving away, and he put his head out the window like yep. a dog. Right. Yep. That, that was... I was like, that really that could have been Jack Nicholson. You know what I mean? I could have seen that in the '89 movie. Mm-hmm. And um. Yeah, no, there's really nothing to add to that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, homaging I mean, each other. That's I think that's true. Now, what did you think of the parade? Like that whole, the whole like the floats and the balloons. Uh, that's another one that I think was so ludicrous. Uh, too big to fail. That was yeah, a great so ludicrous. Scene. It was awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the prints, the balloons. Yep. And actually, um, a scene that they cut out, which I really wish they'd kept in there, is you know he's throwing the money around. Yeah. Um. There was supposed to be a scene where people actually stopped to look at the money, and it was the uh, it was the Joker's face. Oh, that would have been awesome! Oh, and see. and that and that's what it would have called back to that line. It's like, what do you want? My face on the my one dollar bill. The one dollar bill. bill. Yes. Which I I don't know why they didn't keep that, but that that would have been awesome. Yeah, it's a strange choice to omit because it. I mean, it couldn't have taken that long. Mm. Did they have? Did they cut that much out of the movie that that got cut? I'd love to know. I yeah. would love to know like what they did cut. Because I've um, never seen an extended version or like a, you know, the, any, I've never watched any deleted scenes from the old Batman. Because last time I saw it was on VHS. Well, no, but also this is like before people actually bothered just bothered saving yeah. the deleted scenes, you know, for the DVD. Yep. People, everything that was left on the cutting room floor just died. Yeah. But that would have been I an am- interesting, uh, 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 interesting uh, take on that. I, yeah, I, I, I wish they would have left that in. I Yeah, I think so, too. That would have made. Again, it's the little things like that that made movies like Batman so you know so in just amazingly well put together so tied together every little thing was a batman thing about that movie Mm -hmm. so final scene we've got batman on top of the building looking at the bat signal yep yeah i I mean what i mean what a great way to end that movie the end of the movie i always remember it, it still haunts me every once in a while too um the 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 voice box the laughing voice box yep yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that thing and and he, and he you notice he's still grinning when he's on the ground yep like he's, he's like smashed her to the pavement but he's still got that rictus on his face yeah rictus is the perfect word and and uh but yeah that was, and um and actually something a unique take on the joker that um i don't think or has only been done very rarely is in the movie the reason he's grinning so much is when Batman, like when he's at the chemical factory and Batman throws the batarang in his face and the steam comes out. Yeah. That was actually supposed to like have like snapped the nerves in his face. Oh. Which which is between that and the plastic surgery is he his he can't not smile. Wh- in- where did that info come from? Um, the, the nerves thing. Like, well, you. I think it's implied because, like, he's holding his face after Batman just, like, throws the Batarang at him. Yeah, you're right. He's holding his cheek, and then yeah. he obviously gets the plastic surgery done. And But then you'll notice that from that point on, there's never a point 
when he's not smiling, even when his eyes aren't smiling. Like, he, yeah, he's just got that grin like pulled up into his face. Yeah, that's true. So the battering like hurt his nerves in his face. Yep. I like wow. that. idea. Yeah. I think the closest they got was uh, the Heath Ledger sort of Glasgow smile thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, Go ahead. Oh, no. Well, you first. No, no, I was, um, um, yeah, those are really kind of my notes, but, um, you know, I was going to ask you guys, have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? Michael? Every Halloween I try to. <laughs> I'll put it that way, depending, I, on, depending on what mask I'm wearing. I have not. Um, uh, I danced with someone who told me he was the devil, but uh, then then he just looked really skeevy, and I don't think he was. I think he was, <laughs> I think he was just some homeless guy. Um, yeah, but you, you danced don't go with down him that anyway. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the moonlight wasn't even really that pale. I think it was pretty bright out. Uh, yeah. All right. Nick, you need to take a different route when you go home. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I know. It's, 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 it's the curse living in the city, man. True story. <laughs> and uh, But um, I don't know. The only thing I wanted to add um, was uh, the Danny Elfman score. Yeah. What did, what did you guys, what'd you guys think of that? It, 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 speaking of completely Tim Burton, thinking of Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, you can't really separate them, you know, and that was another thing that, the, the the sort of circus themes to that movie made it so creepy and over the top. Circus themes are always going to creep me out no matter what. Like in a good way because I think they're amazing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, anytime I hear like a calliope or like a trippy, you know, a concertina sound or something like that along with like a thumping bass, I always get that, you know – I hear I hear a heartbeat or I hear, you know, uh, you know, like a like a street vendor with the monkey jumping around, you know, with the little grinder, stuff like that. And the imagery from the music alone could have sold that movie for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the Elfman, uh, you know, uh, Im- uh, I guess the music really put that dark tones on where it needed to be. You know, really need to have those dark elements. And then when we needed something lighter, we threw a prince out there, you know, yep. so. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good counterpoint. So, you know, but yeah, I mean, Elfman's music, you know, just really, God, added some great dark elements to that, you know, in a a good way. And and I just think, you know, you probably, it felt like you had Elfman on pretty much so many other movies doing his thing, you know, know, and he's great. (laughs) It's hard to separate Burton and Elfman now. And like, when you think of one, you think of the other, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, it's one of the great Hollywood uh, team-ups, you know what I mean? And maybe I'm being short-sighted when I say this, but his Batman theme is one that I will always associate with Batman. Absolutely. Just the opening brass. Yeah, that... Yeah. Yeah. That will never go away. That That's still... Even just goofing around and saying it right now, both of us, It, it I, I had the hairs on like my arm stand up. Yep. So good. I'm sorry, I was thinking of Bat Dance. Oh, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Now, the bat, bat dance, that was, like, his take on the, the 60s Batman theme, right? Because it wasn't that the word. It was, like, just, like, Batman. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But as sung by Prince, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Prince. Uh, all right, so um, we are just running really long. This is great. Um, <laughs> I told you, this is one you'd split up forever if you kept us going. <laughs> I apologize. All right, so... Um, yeah, yeah, I think we could probably just still keep, you know, talking this out, but uh, um, let's just wrap this up. Mike, um, you got anything you want to uh, uh, end us with? It just, it really was one of the most important movies for me um, in my life. It, it it was really good in showing you 
the different a different side of comic book movies that alone the fact that it started to save comic book comic book movies would be you know really really important to me and uh yeah it, it'll always remain as one of the best movies i've ever seen for that reason mm-hmm. yep nick uh good i have to piggyback on my, with mike on this one uh it you know i saw it in my four and of years and that between that and um i had Dave, I had kind of a similar experience with Finding the Dark Knight Returns when I at a at a young age, mm. and but between this movie and that, it helped to shape my idea of not only Batman but of comic storytelling. Absolutely, uh, for better or worse. I mean, you know, sometimes it got a little over the top, especially later on. But yeah, I mean, at that time, it was unlike anything I had ever seen or watched before. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. For you, it was Dark Knight Returns and that stuff. For me, it was Alan Moore Swamp Thing. But oh, Swamp Thing! Oh, couple oh, awesome. All right. Couple that with this Batman movie, it really, it it really lit a fire under me to understand comics as a medium of art, as as opposed to just you know dime novel trash. Yep. Like funny books. You know, which yeah, funny books exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, you know, my experience at the San Diego Comic Con and then seeing this movie, I mean, it just thrust me into. Uh, the comic book medium, you know, into a, you know, a, a deeper understanding of it being more than just like you guys are saying, funny books. Yeah. Um, you know, because, yeah, you know, I, yeah, the, the main media had given us what, you know, what they had given us, you know, we had the, uh, you know, the TV shows or all that, you know, but, you know, I didn't understand that there was a lot more to these characters than what was being portrayed. Yeah, all we had been exposed to was like simple, episodic stuff that could be, you know, finished in 20 minutes. Right. Super friends. Super yeah. friends, yeah. Yeah, Wonder Twins activate. And then. Uh... Meanwhile, <laughs> at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> or or going back for the, you know, Adam West talking about. Now, Robin. Exactly. Bad yeah. everything. Yeah, and, and, and then we, you know, and then we got this film and it was just yeah it was just a defining change in my perspective what you know what batman was supposed to be in a good way absolutely so um so yeah that's what uh, this film does for me that's why i thought it was so important to talk about yeah good choice sir <laughs> excellent choice this has been a bonsai retro club production Banzai, Daniel Zan! Hey, Banzai! 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 Banzai!